Welcome back. Today we're going to start with Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Let's go. This is entitled, The Loveless Church. To the angel, and verse 1 starts with this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So let's go back to the top. So one of the interesting things about these seven letters that are going out to the churches is that they're given in an order of an ancient Roman postal circuit. Uh, They can be applied in different ways. They can be applied personally, ecclesiastically. They can be applied prophetically. So there's a lot of multi-purposes to these letters. And it says, to the angels, or to the angel of the church. Remember, we talked about angel being messenger. Think leader or pastor. And let's think about what the church is. The church is made up of individuals. But it's the individuals who collectively determine the spiritual health of that particular church. And when we when, when I say this word church right now, I'm kind of thinking about building like a, a little group of people like you might have in, in your community at a certain given church. But, it, but of course, the church as a whole, as God sees it, is every Christ follower past, present, and future um, of the church age. So that's how we want to think about it, is the church as a whole, but you do have these little buildings. And so this is written to the church at Ephesus. And if we think back to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians is where we get some just amazing guidance from God. And in particular, Ephesians 2.8, uh, as it comes to my mind right now, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's a ton in that verse to unpack, which we will one day. But for right now, suffice to say that we are saved by grace alone. And here it's interesting because the church at uh, Ephesus, the Ephesians, a very, very healthy church. And when we look to the book of Acts, it gives us the model of the way that the church was supposed to function. But here, just around, say, AD 95, 96, 97, when this was written, the church was already having problems. And it doesn't take long for us to fall into sin, for us to fight as a congregation, disagree, uh, part ways. We, we see church splits, and it's very sad. Uh, if we can come to agree on a couple of things, I think we'd all just do better. One, if we can agree that we're going to disagree on some non-essentials, and there's a lot of non-essentials, meaning it's not going to play a part in your salvation. It may be good and and beneficial if you have the right interpretation, Um, but when it comes to an essential, those are the things that we cannot cannot, um, negotiate on. Those are the non-negotiables. And we can get into those another time, but I, I think uh, suffice to say, we can look at that. The back half of verse 1 says, These things says he who holds the seven stars, he is God, who holds the seven stars. We already talked about that, the leaders, pastors. And another thing to think about stars there is in Daniel 12, it tells us that those who turn, to, to, uh, turn many to righteousness will shine as stars forever. So if we share our faith, then we will glow with purpose and truth because we were designed for it. It is our fuel to witness about Jesus Christ to others. That is how we were built. 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So notice that it says he walks in the midst. If we go back to Genesis 3.8, we saw that God, God, <laughs> we saw that God walked in the midst of the garden, that he's with us. Um, Adam and Eve were hiding from him, and he was walking in, in uh, their midst, and then they send, and they lost direct access to God the Father. They needed an intermediary, and that's where Jesus came to be our intermediary our mediator, our go-between, the one who clothes us in his righteousness so that we have direct access to God. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. The Ephesian Christians paid a price to serve the Lord. They had a lot going on, but he's seeing their works. And this is not a, a salvation of works. It's not a doctrine of being saved because of your works. It's just saying, I see your works. I see the good things that you're doing that are motivated by Jesus Christ. He sees their labor. You can labor in the Lord. And I hope that each of us, as we go to work or as uh, we labor around the household with our children uh, or anything like that, that we would understand that it's it's a get-to. It's a privilege to be able to labor. There's some people in this country and this world who just can't because physical or mental disabilities, they don't have the ability to do it. So if we have the ability to labor and to work for our family and work unto God, then that is a beautiful thing. But may we use it for the Lord's glory and not just for ours. That's one of the things that I struggle struggle with is the, the worldly labor, struggling for kind of career type stuff when God wants me to work hard but trust the results to him and that's yeah I'm just being transparent and honest that is one of my struggles in life one of my greatest struggles and I constantly pray that God would help me to uh, think more godly than worldly when it comes to things like that he says your patience he wants us to be patient he notices the patience here and the church of Ephesus and it says that you cannot bear those who are evil so Remember, it's kind of going back to that hate the sin, not the sinner. We want to witness to people who are sinning because everybody's a sinner. We want to witness to people who aren't in Christ because the majority of people are not in Christ. And a lot of those who say they are in Christ is debatable. Um, But only God can see the heart. I can look at someone and maybe think they're not saved. And in fact, they are because God can see the heart. I cannot. I can see works. I can see the outside. I can see a certain person doing this or doing that or not doing this or not doing that. And I can have my own judgment of them. But that's not going to change the fact whether they're saved or they're not saved. And it goes back to, I think, what we said last time, which is judgment is not for condemnation. We don't get to judge someone into Uh, eternity, we get to judge people for identification. And it's not for us thinking we're better or different than someone. It's, It's for the purpose of understanding if we want to love on them in a way that, I mean, we want to love on them in a way that they see Jesus. It's for, especially for seeing false teachers is really where I'm getting at right here. Um, A lot of unbelievers will say, oh, you're supposed to, you know, judge not. Well, that's the the different type of judgment that you're looking at. We are not to judge saying, oh, you're going to hell or you're going to heaven. That's not our role. Uh, our role is just to see who the false prophets are. And if you are who you say you are, let's 
take your actions, your works, and compare them and contrast them with that which we see in the Bible. And that's how we can look for false prophets. It says that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. So, again, judging for identification is basically looking at the fruits, uh, looking at their fruits and their doctrine. And if their message contradicts Scripture, then they're a false teacher. And, they should be, and other people should be warned about them because there are lots of false teachers in this country and in this world, and we want to make sure that we're not sitting under a false teacher. And remember that one false prophecy, for example, makes a person a false teacher. Uh, so far, we have not seen any single prophecy fail in the Bible. Every prophecy that has been fulfilled uh, has, or has hap- been fulfilled already has been true. There has been no false prophecy of the Bible. Again, one more testament to the reliability of the Bible. And the back half of verse 3, it says, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And have, uh, here, I lost my place. Verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience. So he noticed that God commends them and then and edifies them. So first he's saying things. He's like, I like your works. I like your labor. I like your patience. So if we ever approach one of our brothers or sisters in Christ, we want to make sure that we do it lovingly, that we approach them with and edify them and commend them before we give them any instruction or correction or rebuke. And it, we'd be well to do the same with our children. We'd be do, well to do the same with our colleagues and other people around us before we, uh, whatever word you want to use, critique, criticize, correct, anything like that, it's a good idea to, to show someone their, their good qualities that you notice in them first. And uh, so we're kind of seeing that biblical example play out right here. And it says, And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. So we are to labor for God. The purpose is not that we're just working hard or that we're trying to make as much money as we can or that we're trying to outdo our neighbor. It's that we're working, trusting God with the results and witnessing along the way because, uh, and I can speak to both a lot of men and a lot of women at this point, Our one of our largest platforms for witnessing is through our work because that's where we spend 40, 50, some people or sometimes 60 hours a week. That's a lot of time. And we have the opportunity, even if we can't say the name of Jesus, which hopefully you do, but even if you can't, you can show people with your actions. And if you're acting biblically, you're going to be different. People are going to take notice, and people are going to come to you when they have an issue, a problem, or just the many examples I've seen over the years of people coming up and saying, man, I don't know how you got through this, but I've been watching you, and it's got to be because you're following Christ, because I just can't believe how steadfast you're being and and stuff like that so that is going to conclude us for today we got through revelation 2 verses 1 through 3 and we'll pick up at verse 4 tomorrow lord thank you for this time together i pray that you would 
help each of us to turn to you more, to realize that your death on the cross was for us. That was a punishment we deserve, that you rose from the dead. You didn't stay dead, that you are alive and you are alive forevermore, Lord. And if we have Christ in us, if we have invited you into our lives, Lord, then we do have eternal life and we can't lose it. It can't be taken away from us, Lord. We're still going to sin, Lord, but your blood covers us and help us repent of that sin when we do recognize it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day. Mm -hmm.